Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 10. To Romans chapter 10. We'll give our attention to the whole of the chapter this morning under the heading of He stood as if pleading with men. He stood as if pleading with men from Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up uh, up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what He has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. This is God's Word. May we receive it with a believing heart this morning. Well, blessed congregation, it was John Bunyan in his famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, who writes that the main character Christian saw a picture of a person who had his eyes lifted up to heaven, had the best of books in his hands and the law of truth written upon his lips, and with the world behind his back, it said he stood as if pleading with men. And a crown of gold did rest upon his head, Bunyan says. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who stands with a hand upon an open Bible who stands with the Word of God on His lips, and who holds out His hands to all men and women and says, come. Come to Me. 
and I will in no wise cast you out. Come and have life. Come and have salvation. Come, Jesus says. But how do we hold Romans 9, which teaches that God is sovereign in salvation, and Romans 10, where God says to all, come. I know many of you last Sunday have said or maybe even thought, I know God is sovereign in election. Election meaning choice. I know God is sovereign in reprobation. Reprobation meaning exclusion. I know it to be true, but my heart breaks for my children who don't know the Lord. My heart is broken for my friends and my family who have seemingly rejected Christ. Do you resonate with Paul's words in verse 1? My heart's desire is that they may be saved. Well, God does not disagree with that desire. God's heart and Paul's heart agree. And you say, well, how can somebody, how can God hate someone, Romans 9, verse 13, and desire him come? But remember, our hearts here are a reflection of God's heart, and we can do the same thing. Say, for instance, Something horrible happens to you. Drunk driver gets in the car, recklessly endangers his life, but instead of taking himself out, he takes your children out. And you would hate that person for what they've done. You would want justice for the fullest sense of the law to be practiced upon that person, yet you can still love them in the Lord Jesus Christ, can't you? You can still desire their salvation you can love their soul. See, Romans 9 and 10 teach us that so it is with God. God loves all men as His creation. And He seriously and truly desires that all men and women, Jew or Greek, male or female, white or black, that all would come to Him. He says that all throughout His Word. 1 Timothy 2, remember this word, this verse, God desires all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus says in John 6, come to me and I will in no wise cast you out. And I want to hold before you the picture in verse 21, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God stands before all men, all women, indiscriminate of who they are, and in the preaching of the Gospel says, come. Come. I want to show you this today in three movements from Romans chapter 10. We're going to see Paul's heart for the lost. Point one. Point two, the mouth's saving confession. Point two. And then third, God's hands stretched out to all. But we notice 
in this passage many references to the body. Did you notice that? The heart's desire. The mouth's confession. The beautiful feet. The hands of God. But in verses 1-4, through Paul is talking about his own heart. And in verse 1, these are verses we can all sympathize with if we have friends and family who are not walking in the way of faith. Look at verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That word brothers, we should not pass by that word lightly. Paul uses it a hundred times in his epistles, but only 14 times in the book of Romans. And every time he uses it in Romans, it is charged with emotion. It is filled with pleading. We really should read verse 1 like this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul says, I know God is sovereign, but I still have a deep attachment to my friends. I still have a deep affection for my family. I still have a love in my heart for my children. By stating that, it's his heart's desire and prayer. Is he not suggesting, Christian, that he loves them intensely? You know, love can be defined as wishing good upon someone. Not just an emotion. And so when Paul is praying for them, and he's witnessing to them, he is wishing upon them the greatest good. Spiritual good. You know, I have a famous story of a brother, or a friend, I should say, I knew growing up in southern Ontario. Really, he was my dad's friend. And one time he said to me, off the cuff, Jacob, I love you, man. If I've told you this story, I apologize. But I didn't really know him. And so as a Canadian, just trying to be nice, I said, love you too. To which he responded, well, do you pray for me? And I had to confess, well, no, I don't. I don't even know you. And he said, then you don't really love me. He's getting at something very true. That to truly love someone is to wish good upon them, and the greatest good we can wish upon someone is their spiritual good, their salvation. And so we can say that Paul here truly loves Israel. Jesus truly loves the church when they lift them up in prayer. Do you realize how comforting this is to us this morning? Paul is broken that his friends and family are rejecting Christ. He is seeing his kinsmen, according to the flesh, refuse the Gospel. And he does not say, well, God is sovereign. He has made His choice. So I don't need to do anything and I'll just leave them in the hands of God. No. He gets on his knees and he lifts Israel up in prayer. He gets into the secret place of God and he prays for his kinsmen according to the flesh. What Paul is teaching us here is that it is good to desire the salvation of others. It is good to desire the salvation of your children It is good to pray for your friends and your family who have rejected Christ. It is not anti-God's sovereignty. 
It is not anti-reformed to pray for God to save lost sinners. And why was his heart broken? He tells us in verse 2 and 3. The Jews, says Paul, have rejected Christ, that's verse 2, and they have sought to establish their own gospel. That's verse 3. Paul says they have a lot of zeal for the word, but they don't have what the word pointed to. They had a lot of works righteousness, but they didn't have a lot of grace righteousness. And so Paul says, because they have rejected Christ and they have embraced their own gospel, they're outside of the kingdom of God. That's the source of this heartbreak. That unless something changes and they continue in their wicked ways, they'll go to hell. Now, verse 4 is often twisted and used to teach bad theology. Look at what verse 4 says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Some people have used this verse, twisted this verse, to teach that the Jews of old were saved by law-keeping and New Testament Christians are saved by Christ and that for us, the law is useless. It's come to end. It's ended. But when you think about it in the context which I've just laid out for you this morning, this doesn't make any sense. How can Paul in verses 2 and 3 cry to God that they have rejected Christ and then in the next verse say, but that is a legitimate way to get to heaven? You see how these two things don't go together. See, what Paul is saying when he says Christ is the end of the law, we should interpret it like this. He's saying Christ is the aim. He is the goal. He is the purpose of the law. And some translations even say goal. Why do I bring this up to you? Because Paul is making a profound point. That his fellow kinsmen who have rejected Christ, they've actually missed the whole point of the law. The law was never meant to save you from your sins. The law was never meant to be a ladder with which you could climb up to heaven. The law was meant to lead you to Christ. And doesn't Jesus teach us this in Luke 24? The famous road to Emmaus, these two men are walking down the street and Christ is resurrected from the grave and they're discussing the crucifixion, they're discussing the empty tomb, and Jesus comes up to them and says, what are you talking about? And they say, have you not heard? That Jesus was crucified and now his followers are saying he's resurrected from the dead. And Jesus, we're told, Luke tells us in verse 27, Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus begins with Moses, that's the law, and then the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, and he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the whole Bible points to Jesus. Genesis is about His cross. 
Leviticus is about His resurrection. Habakkuk is about Jesus. The whole of the Bible is about Him. He is the telos. He is the goal. And so if we this morning are reading the Old Testament and we come away with it saying, I have to earn my own righteousness, what Paul is saying is you're missing the point. That's why Paul's heart is broken. is because the Gospel has always been there. The Gospel has always been proclaimed. The Gospel has always been its focus. And the people who have a zeal for the law have missed the point of it all. Do you see how Paul is holding in tension here? God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign, absolutely, says Paul. But every human being is responsible for their own response to the Gospel. We are still responsible. Parents, there is a word of application here for you and I. We would be satisfied with children who have a zeal, but maybe not the point. And we have to be very careful here. Because it is not enough to simply have zeal, Paul says. We need to have what the Word of God points us towards. We cannot be satisfied simply with completed catechism lessons and simply satisfied with memorized verses. Those those are good steps in the right direction. But we need to have what those things point us towards salvation in Christ. I tell my pre-confession class, I want you to have the right answers. I want you to do the homework. But the most important thing is do you love Jesus? And do you love His church? As parents, what a reminder here that we need to instruct our children not only in the doctrines of the Word of God and in the family traditions, but also in simple prayer and thankfulness to Jesus Christ. Simple faith. Like that little child. Or like as Jesus says of the little children. To them belongs the kingdom of heaven. A simple love for Christ. That's Paul's heart for the lost here this morning. I want you to see also, second, the mouth's saving confession. Notice with me, beginning in verse 5, Paul gives ten Old Testament quotations. Ten Old Testament quotations in the rest of this chapter. Let's go through them very quickly. In verse 5, the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's Leviticus 18, verse 5. Verses 6-7, through seven, Do not say in your heart who will ascend, ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. That's Deuteronomy 30, verses 11-14. through 14. Verse 11, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28, verse 16. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Verse 13, that's Joel 2, verse 32. Verse 15, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's Isaiah 52, verse 7. Verse 16, Lord who has believed the report He has heard from us. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Verse 18, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That's Psalm 19, verse 4. Verse 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation and a foolish nation I will make you angry. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Verse 20, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Isaiah 65, verse 1. And then verse 21, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's Isaiah 65, verse 2. 
What is the point of all these Old Testament passages? Paul is saying that the Gospel of Jesus, salvation by His righteousness, not your own, that's not just a New Covenant teaching. That's always been God's plan. That's always been God's plan. Well, you might say, though, well, then why doesn't God just say that from the beginning? Why not start with Matthew 1 instead of Genesis 1? Why does He say things like verse 5, where we're quoting from Leviticus 18, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them? That seems to teach the opposite. But allow me to simplify the law of God for you this morning. Just like our laws today, here in the state of Michigan or in the United States, law-keeping requires perfection. Law-keeping requires perfection. And Moses teaches that if you want to go to heaven by law-keeping, you need to follow the law without flaw or defect. What this would look like then is that we forsake everything in and of ourselves. We forsake everything outside of God. That we would exist for Him alone, cleave to Him alone, praise Him alone, glorify Him alone, and do it all without the least inclination of evil or sinful thought or deviation of heart. But I don't know about you. I know I've sinned in the last year. The last day. The last hour. That's the problem. We're sinners. Didn't Matt and Ashley just confess in their vows that little baby Adeline, as cute and beautiful as she is, is conceived and born in sin. And that in her current sinful state, she could never get to heaven by herself. That's what we're saying when we make those vows. That's the implication of Romans 5, that we receive Adam's sin and that we ourselves are sinful. It's impossible for a sinner to save themselves. But God, with God there's nothing impossible. He can make what was impossible, possible. See, in verses 6-7, through Paul quotes seemingly a very strange passage. What do we make of who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? This is a quotation from Deuteronomy 30. As the Jews are about to enter the promised land, and Paul, or excuse me, Moses is reminding them, remember when you were under Pharaoh, the greatest nation of the world? You could have never escaped his tyranny by yourself. But God brought you out of there. And remember when he brought you out of there and he brought you to the Red Sea and Pharaoh was breathing down your neck and there was no hope of salvation and God split the Red Sea and led you out of there. Remember how for 40 years you were in the wilderness and by all accounts you should have been dead and died there in that wilderness and God led you and He fed you and He cared for you. 
And now as you're about to enter Canaan, and the Canaanites are these huge giants who live in fortified cities, and there is really no hope of success, isn't there, Israel? He is reminding them that God does the impossible. And so it is with us. What is impossible, law-keeping, works righteousness, salvation is made possible in Jesus Christ. To go to, he- to go to heaven, to have salvation, you don't have to ascend a ladder. You don't have to dig down deep into yourselves to bring something to God of some worth or merit. What does it say? The Word of God is near you, in your heart and in your mouth. What Paul is saying is that God has taken what was impossible, He's brought it right to your doorstep in Jesus Christ. He has brought salvation right to you, all the way in grace. What was impossible for you, Jesus has done it all. He has done all the work for you, received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All you must do is believe. But sadly for many, even in Reformed churches, we think we have to ascend some spiritual ladder to get to heaven. Or we have to dig down deep into ourselves and bring something to God of some merit or worth. But don't walk away without hearing what Paul is saying. God has brought it near this morning. How near has He brought it? It doesn't require superhuman strength. It does not require moral achievement. It doesn't require impressive accomplishments. Look at verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the mouth's saving confession. That you don't need, as the Buddhists say, to travel up a mountain and experience nirvana and meditate for 30 years. No! Nor do you need to fast for a month and do charity and travel to Mecca as the Muslims say. It's not about your sacrifices and the charity you do and bringing something of value to God as the Jews teach. No, Paul says, God has brought salvation so near, so close, so accessible, all you need to do is believe and confess. This is what Jesus means when He says, take My yoke upon you and learn from from Me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. You will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. It's right there. It's right at your heart. It's a word away. That's how near salvation comes. See, Jesus came and He ascended the mountain of the law. Jesus came and He brought something of worth to God. His own blood. All we need to do is receive it 
with a believing heart. You know what this means, beloved? This means that the gospel is for everyone. Jew and Greek, Paul says. That to all who sit under its preaching, the message of salvation is brought near. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be conservative. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be English. It is for all peoples. To all peoples he stands and says, come to me. And in case you're wondering, this is exactly what we believe as Reformed people. See, there is a twisting of Reformed doctrine. We call it hyper-Calvinism, which teaches that you shouldn't preach the gospel. Because God is sovereign. He will save. Don't offer people the salvation message and tell them to come and that Jesus will receive them. That's not what we believe at all. The canons of Dort say this in Article 2.5. The promise of the Gospel that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in in His good pleasure sends the Gospel. We do not preach to those who are only elect. We do not preach to those who only look like us or who do the right things or can bring something of merit. No, the Gospel is for all. If you were to ask me a few months ago when we started going through the book of Romans, Pastor, what's the part of Romans you are most looking forward to? It would be the end of Romans 10. The concluding portion where Paul announces, this is God's hand stretched out. Paul announces in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has seen us struggling under the weight of the law. He has seen us laboring under the fierce indignation of His wrath. And so He stretches out His hands and says, come to Me. Come. But doesn't this present a problem? What about those who are never called? That's what Paul talks about. How then will they call upon Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is the problem. How come, what about some people who never hear the Gospel message? Do you know what God's answer to this question is? God's answer is take my Gospel and preach it everywhere to everyone. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now Paul is not talking about a pedicure here. Nor is he saying that preachers should wear sandals and all God's people said amen. But as Calvin says, this is a metonymy. That the footsteps of people who bring something precious are beautiful. Say, for instance, a little girl goes with a, on a walk with her father this afternoon and they get separated and she falls into a, a pit, a well, 
She's down there at the bottom, crying out, trying to climb up, can't get out, crying out, Dad, Dad, and she hears on the fallen leaves the crunching of his footsteps. Wouldn't those be beautiful feet? The feet of salvation? God's answer to the problem. What about those who don't hear? Is he sends forth his ministers. He sends forth his people. He tells them to go to the mountains and the valleys. Go to the cities and the countryside. Bring with you the glad tidings of the gospel. And wherever the church's voice should be, or wherever the church's voice should be found, I should say, the voice of Christ must be heard unto the ends of the earth, and in their pulpits, and in their people, may they hear that God's hands are held open wide to all who come. Take it. Believe it. And be saved. Something needs to be said here. You cannot allow me to get off this pulpit without saying this. You young men, is God calling you to the ministry? You can be a blessing wherever the Lord calls you. Don't get me wrong. You can be a farmer, a plumber, whatever the Lord does, preach His Gospel. But is the Lord calling you to bring the Gospel to the ends of the earth? You could be as young as five. You could be as old as 50 or older. But is the Lord pricking your heart? Saying, I want to tell people about this message. I want to share the Gospel. This is how God saves sinners. Come. So what this means, beloved, is that God has never crossed His arms and coldly refused anyone. Calvin says, the giver of all good says, He has stretched forth His hands to Israel. He has never ceased to invite to Himself by His Holy Word and to allure by every kind of tenderness of love. Come. This is the view we need to have of God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I desire that all would come. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I would have loved to gather you under My wings. In the Gospel, God stretches out His hands to all people. Come! To the elect and the non-elect. Come! To you this morning. Come! And be saved. You see that Paul holds these two things in tension. We don't know everything about God's process of salvation, His election, and His reprobation. We can't always trace out the ways of God. Paul says we always know that He is good. We always know that He is just. We always know that He is fair. And we always know He desires men come. We may not have all the answers to sort out the tension between sovereignty and man's responsibility. But what we can rest in this morning is that this is the truth. God calls all men to come. What I want to show you in conclusion is this. 
that in the preaching of the Gospel, it is as if Jesus holds the Word of God in your midst, hands lifted up to heaven, and eyes upon His Father and the truth of God in His lips. And He says, come to Me. Come. And do not worry that you have wearied God and that he, His patience with you has run thin. Look at verse 21. All day long, I held out my hands. All day, He says, come. Your Savior is never exhausted. Your Savior has never been pushed too far to receive His prodigal children. Come this morning. Come. Welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that this Gospel invitation has been given to us. And that You have given us this great privilege of not only receiving and responding to that Gospel proclamation, but Father, You have given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that You might comfort their hearts that yes, You are sovereign, but You have given them the Gospel. Allow them to fall on their knees and to pray for their children. To pray for their friends. To pray for their family. And to even, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, to proclaim to them, He has not cast you out. While the time is here, return and find salvation. For His hands are stretched out to all. We ask God Your blessing upon us this morning in Christ's name. Amen.